The good news of Jesus works in the most unexpected ways. Last week, as we uh, entered into really the first, our first exposure in the Gospel of Mark to a parable, uh, I brought up the fact that when you read through the New Testament, Jesus is always doing multiple things simultaneously. He is an excellent multitasker. I guess you would imagine that the king of the universe would be. But Jesus, when he preaches and when he teaches, he is always doing multiple things. He is always speaking to those who hear and to those who happen to overhear. Not only that, when Jesus preaches and teaches, he is also speaking in a way where he conceals and in a way where he reveals. He is always letting his listeners know, those who happen to know him and have a relationship with him, a grasp of what it means to be his, what it means that they will be people who listen and that they would respond to what they hear. There is nothing that causes us to examine the concept of listening more than watching little children play sports. I have four children. Two of them are playing uh, City League basketball this year. My six-year-old son, Alder, my nine-year-old daughter, Nolly, they're playing basketball, and I am proud of the way that they are playing basketball because basketball is my favorite sport. I've never preached in a pair of baseball spikes. Uh, It's my favorite sport. I like to watch them run and dribble up and down the court. I really do enjoy basketball. It's incredibly fun for me to watch. And I'm always shocked by how well or not well children are listening. I'm watching yesterday as they're playing, as they're listening to their coaches. I'm watching as Alder, he has a super intense coach. She, the game was tied at the very end, four seconds left, and this lady called a timeout so she could set up her kids as if these other six-year-olds were going to sprint down the court and score some dynamic goal. It was pretty amazing. And I'm listening as she talks to Alder. They're always talking. If you ever coach children, you realize that you have to talk about defense way more than you ever talk about offense. The best offense is a good defense. I've been taught that my entire life. And I've overheard her, and so has Shepard, and so has Charlie, and so has my wife. We've all heard her say something to my son to this effect. Alder, you have to get your hands out of your pockets. I'm going to sew up your pockets. And we think that we are the only people who happen to hear her. But yesterday, Alder comes home and he looks at his mama and asks if she will sew up the pockets on his shorts. (laughs) He didn't just overhear. He heard. Jesus in this gospel is taking us to a place where he speaks more to his people about what it means to be hearers. What it means to hear from God. He's continuing in what we call the some parables. Let me give you a definition of parable if you are unfamiliar. It's the exact one I used last week. It will be a reminder for some of us who were here. It says this, vivid, they are vivid proverbial sayings. They are brief similes. They are metaphoric phrases, analogies or short stories drawn from everyday life and designed to communicate important truths. 
So Jesus is going to give us yet another parable, multiple stories, some short, pithy sayings to let us know what it means to be a hearer and to respond to the kingdom of God in a way that lines up with who He is and who He would have us to be. And for those who happen to not be hearers but overhearers, it is a word almost of judgment simultaneously judging and and inviting for you to move from being an overhearer to a hearer. And maybe, just maybe, this morning you're here and you've gathered together with this faith family and we're so glad that you're here. And I just would love to say this to you. I would love to see you transition from being an overhearer to a hearer this morning. To know and walk with Jesus because he has invited you to know him and to walk with him. But let me read the text over us beginning in Mark chapter 4 in verse 21. It says this. He also said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or a bed? Isn't it to be put on a lampstand? For there's nothing hidden that will not be revealed. And nothing concealed that will not be brought to light. If anyone has ears, let him listen. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. By the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and more will be added to you. For whoever has, more will be given to him. And for whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. The kingdom of God is like this, he said. A man scatters seed on the ground. He sleeps and he rises night and day. The seed sprouts and grows, although he does not know how. The soil produces a crop by itself, first a blade and then the head, then the full grain on the head. As soon as the crop is ready, he sends it for the sickle because the harvest has come. And he said to them, With what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable can we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed. That when you sown upon the soil, it is the smallest of all the seeds on the ground. And when sown, it comes up and grows taller than all the garden plants and produces large, large branches so that the birds of the sky can nest in its shade. He was speaking the word to them with many parables like these as they were able to understand. He did not speak to them without a parable. Privately, however, he explained everything to his disciples. Last week, one of my life group members let me know that it resonated when I shared with him Warren Wiersbe's definition of parables. He gave a a, a helpful understanding as to what's taking place when Jesus uses these. And just for the sake of reminder, again, a parable begins... Innocently, as a picture that captures our attention and it draws our interest. We hear him talking about seeds. And if you're a person in first century Israel, uh, Roman-occupied territory, this is very much like your life. You would know this. He's speaking to you. But as you look at the picture, this innocent picture, it becomes a mirror where we can suddenly see ourselves. Finally, if we continue to look by faith, the mirror becomes a window through which... We see God and His truth. Now, whenever I read these things to you, you may be thinking, Chad, why are you recapping last week? I was here last week. Here's why. This continued teaching of Jesus is building off of what we spent time doing last week. 
And the temptation of anyone who's ever preached a sermon, and if you've preached a sermon, maybe I can get an amen from you, is to preach a sermon with an entirely different train of thought just because people expect you to use a different train of thought when you're using a large piece of text which continues the same train of thought. Jesus is talking to us last week about what it means to listen to Him. What it means to hear these parables. What it means for us to respond to these parables accordingly. And because He continues with this, we should continue with this. We need to continue. Last week He told us, if you don't get the parable of the sower, you will never begin to grasp how God is actually working. That there are those who hear and those who overhear. That there are those who will see the revelation of God. And for those who it will be concealed from, you'll never grasp the rest of it, Jesus says. If you don't get that, Jesus letting us know what it means for us to be people who hear Him. And who are tuning ourselves to hear Him consistently. Things we can learn as we walk through this parable about the unexpected ways the kingdom of God happens to work. One is you can't hide it. You see that in verse 21 and 22. He said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or a bed? Isn't it to be put on a lampstand? Maybe for you, you've made a purchase at a place like Targets, and when you brought the purchase home, you thought immediately it needed to be put together. Maybe you thought that your husband should put it together. Maybe you thought that your spouse should put it together. Maybe you thought that this thing should not stay there in the box, but that you should put it in a place where it can be seen. For me, I think about what takes place in here each and every Sunday when Greg Smith, who, who oversees our sound booth and makes sure that sound happens for us, that I'm not having to yell at you or use a bullhorn, though I've thought about it multiple times. Greg makes sure that my microphone is in the closest to a right place that I can get it on this nice round face of mine. He makes sure that I don't move it to places that it will not work. He makes sure that I don't cover it or muffle it. Jesus uses this illustration about a light stand saying, you don't cover this up. That's the very reason that it's there. In the same way that I would never cover this microphone, I should never do that. Jesus says, don't cover the light. The light is there to be seen. Verse 22, For there is nothing hidden that will not be revealed, and nothing concealed that will not be brought to light. Jesus is saying to those of us who happen to be listening to Him, hearing from Him, if this is something that you know, if this is a God that you trust, if this is someone that you believe, if this is where you have placed your hope, it makes no sense whatsoever to keep that master guarded. You don't cover this up. Not only do we see that you cannot hide it, everyone will respond to it. The unexpected ways of the gospel of the kingdom of God, all of us will respond. There will be some who will respond and we will be hearers. And there are some who will respond by never hearing, never trusting, never believing. There are those who will enter into the eternal presence of God and His mercy and His grace and His, just His rich love. And there will, be, there will be some who never trust in Him and they will enter into judgment separate from Him for all of eternity. Jesus speaks this message to us. If anyone has ears to hear, listen. He said to them, pay attention to what you hear. By the measure you use, it will be measured to you and more will be added to you. For those who are hearers of Jesus, the more you go in, the more you'll get from it. 
the more that we lean into what Scripture says, the more we lean into what the Bible teaches us about Jesus, the more we will receive from what we have invested. The more that our hearts are lining up with what God happens to say to us from His Word, from our conversations with Him in prayer, the more that we lean into God, the more we will receive from God. If you remain on this superficial level of faith, if it's even sincere, then that's where you're going to stay. We, our youngest being six, when we go do children's things, there is always the line that's drawn as to how much am I going to have to do as a parent here? If you've ever taken children to a water park with a smaller human, there is the likelihood that you are going to have to ride slides that you do not want to ride as a full-grown man because you want to be able to walk around the next day. There's, a like, there's also the possibility that your child will walk in surrounded by everything and will be satisfied with a kiddie pool. And that's okay at first. I mean, who doesn't like a kiddie pool? You can eat pizza while you're in the water. Or maybe you've been to a theme park and your child just wants to ride the carousel in circles over and over and over you do it for an hour, that's fine. Two hours, that's fine. But eventually you look at them and you say, there is more than this. There's more than this. And those of us who are in Jesus, I just want you to know that if your whole experience with walking with Jesus boils down to sitting in a room while I'll talk to you, He's better than that. Y'all were pretty quick with that. He's better. He's better. And if our whole idea of God is that He's this boring person that we talk about in rooms where we set up for you to listen in rows while I talk... If that's all that he is, that is boring. But he's so much more. The more you lean in, the more you, he will show you about himself. Listen. For whoever has, verse 25, more will be given to him. And whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. In this text, Jesus is unloading for us the truth of what it means to be invested in our walk with Him. The thing about walks is they're in motion. There's movement there. This week as I was spending time in the story of Mark and what we read in Mark's Gospel, something hit me that I've, I've never realized and this fantastically brilliant pastor in Birmingham uh, explained this. He points out that when we read through Mark in the our translations, they will typically put words in over and over. You see past tense. The reason they do that is it does not completely translate to the English uh, recipient. 
But Mark doesn't stay in past tense. Mark is always driving us a direction. Mark is always moving us a place. 150 times, over 150 times actually, the gospel of Mark shifts into present tense. This active idea. Saying to those of us who are hearing from God, what will you do with what God happens to be doing? What are you doing with what God is doing in a text like this? When Jesus himself is saying to you, go all in. Does going all in mean that I have made sure that the gospel is at work? I, I certainly hope not. I hope the gospel works beyond my abilities and capabilities. I hope it goes beyond yours as well. Jesus will actually tell you that. He lets us know when we look to the text because the gospel works in unexpected ways. It's different than other things because it takes care of itself. Verse 26. The kingdom of God is like this. A man scatters a seed on the ground. More seed talk. He talks about seeds so much. He sleeps and he rises night and day. His cryptic talk. If you're unfamiliar with cryptic, we live in a world where we are talking about crypto things all of the time. The seed sprouts. It grows. He doesn't know how. The soil produces a crop by itself. First the blade, then the head, then the full grain on the head. The man sleeps, rises, the, the seed goes in, it sprouts. We, we see that in this passage. We, if we've ever planted anything in our front yard, backyard, wherever you happen to plant things in this great city of ours. There was a study in the Associated Press about growing things. About corn. 100 bushels of corn from one acre of land takes the following things. 4 million pounds of water. 6,800 pounds of oxygen. 5,200 pounds of carbon, 180 pounds of nitrogen, 125 pounds of potassium. That's a lot of bananas. 75 pounds of yellow sulfur. All of these elements, everything that I just listed off, as you know, because of your jobs and the jobs that you are adjacent to, I can't produce those myself. I will never create nitrogen. Neither will you. The study goes on to say that only 5 to 10% of the harvest can be contributed to the work of a human being at all. The good news of Jesus is one that is going to go forward. We regularly talk about the idea of us being aligned with the gospel message, of us giving to missions for the sake of gospel message. That is not because God needs you. It would be a silly... He is a silly God, an unnecessary God, if He needs you. He is not Uncle Sam pointing at you. God doesn't call you because He needs you. He calls and invites you because He loves you. He's invited us to be part of something bigger than this mundane, superficial reality of saying that we walk with God because we come in, into a certain room from time to time. God has invited us to be with Him. To walk with Him. He will take care of the gospel. The good news of Jesus will not be thwarted. We get to the end of Revelation. Every tribe, tongue, and nation. All of that conversation is saying things to us about who God is and how God works. 
And he has invited you and invited me to hear him and not simply be an overhearer because he has a deep love for you. This is yet another way that he invites us to immerse ourselves in the hope of who God is and how God works. On top of that, you read this story, this cryptic language of Jesus, and you see as he is giving this story to the hearers and the overhears that there are rumblings of resurrection in the story because a man will go to sleep and the man will wake up. He plants a seed and it is born into something. We see this in the text. As soon as the crop is ready, it says in verse 29, he sends for the sickle because the harvest has come, which is even a more of a throwback for these Jewish, overhear- these Jewish listeners to Jesus and even the overhearers of Jesus. Because he is taking them back to the Old Testament because in the book of Joel, the prophet Joel, he speaks of a sickle when the judgment of God will come upon the world. God is making a reference to that. He is making a reference to judgment. The people would know this. It would resonate with them. But Jesus tells the story of how the judgment of God will work in a way that nobody would ever expect. Seeds? Birds? Listen. But he's just brought in the sickle. We're about to judge Rome and everything that is like Rome. We're going to overthrow this earthly kingdom and the kingdom of Israel, which will have no end, is about to take its place. What does he say on the other side of judgment? You're a first century hearer. You're expecting the Messiah to do something altogether different. He's been telling you these seed stories and now he's talking about judgment, retribution. It's our turn. You are on the edge of your seat. And Jesus opens his mouth and says, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. If anything, Jesus is remarkably consistent. With what can I compare the kingdom of God? And with what parable can we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed. When sown upon the soil, it's the smallest of all the seeds on the ground. People like to fight about stuff like this. Jesus is using hyperbole. It's not the smallest seed. The smallest seed in their world, more than likely. People like to say that the Bible is not authoritative and is, it may have flaws because Jesus said it's the smallest seed and it's not the smallest seed because there are other smaller seeds. In the world they live in, it's a really small seed. And Jesus points at it. Just think about how little. This is the smallest seed. Here's a picture of a mustard seed. If you've got your Bible... If you have a capital O on your page, the mustard seed is about that size. Because as you know, that finger's bigger than mine. Or yours. But the mustard seed does the weirdest thing. When it grows, it turns into that. It gets bigger and bigger and grows one direction and the next, and the next, and the next. This small seed grows into something that is 
crossing and weaving and winding. It looks uncontainable. When sown, it comes and it grows taller than all the garden plants and it produces large branches. So the birds of the sky can nest in its shade. The kingdom's different. And even for these hearers of Jesus, for those who did not want to hear this message, it was different. Because for them, whenever you're talking about growing in the nation of Israel, you're talking about cedars of Lebanon that we see in the, in the book of Ezekiel, the Old Testament prophet. And, and as you read through Ezekiel, you see these trees growing large. And Jesus says, the kingdom of God is really like, it just, it's going everywhere and you can't contain it. It's different. It will always look different forever. It will be different. When Jesus walked on earth, it looked different. When he spoke, it sounded different. Because of that, it should look different in the people of Jesus now. It should look different in our alignment. It should look different in our reaction. It should look different in our response. We need to keep that in mind with any type of politician whatsoever says things to us about about what Jesus is or who Jesus would be or what the Bible says when we make references to the book of Isaiah and we say that that whole idea of who will go for us represents the, the the United States of America. That's insane. It's insane. But we've heard it said because politicians love to quote the Bible. Or when we hear a politician say something like this, we've turned the other cheek and I understand sort of that biblical reference and I understand the mentality, but it's gotten us nothing. Okay? It's gotten us nothing while we've seeded ground in every major institution in our country. God's people. His hearers are to respond to that differently with a no. Because we will always align with Jesus. Let's listen to Jesus. For Jesus, there, one theologian says, there are no countries to be conquered, no ideologies to be imposed, there are no people to be dominated, there are only children Women and men, I will paraphrase, people made in the image of God to be loved. Jesus spoke to them in parables and invited them to hear. He was speaking to them with many parables like these as they were able to understand. He did not speak to them without a parable. Privately, however, he explained everything to his disciples, his own disciples. All of this reminds us where Paul will say something to us in 1 Corinthians about the argument, the dispute about who we should follow, Apollos or Paul. He says, Apollos water, but God gave the growth so that, ne- so that neither one who plants or the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. One commentary writer says this about the kingdom. And I would regret if I did not share this with you, though it is a tad bit lengthy. The working of the kingdom, of God's kingdom, rarely ever makes headlines. From our human perspective, we are ignorant of God's grand scheme, even when we are living in the midst of them. 
In God's kingdom, one finds life by giving one's life. Power by humbling oneself and the victory by being a subject to defeats. The world operates from different standards by taking life, extorting power over others, and going out to conquer in order to conquer. No wonder the world is blind to God's presence and rule. One needs a special faith to risk trusting one's whole life to something that lies hidden when it is the seed stage or just a small blade. The kingdom of God is at work in unexpected places. Think about it. If we were to hop in a time machine together and we saw a baby in a feeding trough, would we think there was anything that would come of that? Look and listen. What if you saw a carpenter his son skills that son would barely ever use would you look and listen what if you saw one criminal hanging between two criminals in a very routine Roman execution look and listen what if you saw a gardener talking to a mourning lady at a graveside Look and listen. What if you saw men huddled up in fear because the person they thought to be the king of all there is was dead? Look and listen. What if we move forward in time and we could see from a distance as two old professors met in a little pub in Oxford called the Eagle and Child? Just stuffy old men in tweed jackets. Look and listen. What if you got to peek into the future? I got to speak at a school this week, and these elementary kids brought baby bottles full of change for their variation of the Pregnancy Help Center. Just little kids, but what if you could see them from afar with their bottles? Not knowing what God would do with that. Look and listen. What if we had a 10,000 foot view of this people that gather together at this place each and every Sunday as we meet in what looks like a strip mall that we've dolled the front of it really well? Will we look and listen? The story of God's intended kingdom, the reign and rule of Jesus is alive and it is well and it's making its way to every tribe, every tongue, every nation. His kingdom will not be impeded. His kingdom will not be undone. His kingdom has no end. Are you living for that kingdom? Because that is a kingdom worth hearing. And do you see that kingdom presently at work in you? Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Father, we pray that you would move us from being hearer, from being overhearers to hearers if that is the case. 
with your heads bowed, if you're here and you've never placed your trust in Jesus, the kingdom that he offers that has no end, I'm at your left-hand corner of the room and I would love to talk to you. And Jesus, for those who are here, who are able to hear, would we submerge ourselves in the depth of your word and the hope that is there? <clears throat>